Almighty God, we ask that you may bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when you go and maybe in lockdown, you've been um, finding a bit more space in your uh, calendar to watch movies or watch TV shows. And when you want to go and watch a movie or a TV show, uh, you've sort of got to open yourself up to the genre of the movie that you're going to watch um, in order to actually enjoy it. So perhaps you want to watch, you know, the movie Love Actually. Um, If you want to enjoy the movie Love Actually, uh, you need to open up yourself to the genre of romantic comedy. You sort of have to prepare yourself for ridiculous plot changes and for the ups and downs of the love life and for everything to turn out rosy and perfect at the end. Um, If you want to enjoy an action movie like James Bond 007, again, you've got to prepare yourself and just just enter into the genre. There's going to be suspense. There's going to be a, a clock. There's going to be a ridiculous decision that he makes to save a woman and allow other people to die. It's just, that's just what, what's going to happen. That's the genre and that's how it works. And so now we come to Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus changes his form of speech. Up until now, Jesus has been preaching with logic and reason in the Sermon on the Mount. He's been illustrative Um, He's been arguing with scripture and with ideas and rationality. But now Jesus turns and marks a shift in his ministry. Um, In halfway through this chapter, as we'll see next week, he begins to only teach in parables. And for us, in order for us to actually enjoy and, and learn from a parable, we have to enter into them. We have to enter into the genre called a parable, and and it's a genre that we're not used to because we don't use it all that often. Now, Jesus didn't invent the parable of um, the genre of a parable. It was one that was used by rabbis and teachers at his time, but Jesus utilizes it for a specific reason. You see, a simple way you could define what a parable is, is it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Um, in Jesus's case, or an earthly story with a deeper meaning in other cases. A a parable generally, it's sort of like a movie trailer or a teaser. Um, It shows you a big picture, but it doesn't give you all the details. It, It shows you enough, and if you're interested, it leaves you having to think through what, what's really going to happen? What does that really mean? Uh, It's sort of like an onion. It also has layers. Each level of a parable can be um, broken apart and we can see deeper into it. And the meaning of a parable is often veiled to our first hearing. Uh, One commentator says that these parables tease us into active thought. And so as we come in this next chapter and as we come to study Jesus' parables, If we want to learn from them, if we want to gain the profit from them, we have to enter into the genre. We have to enter in and allow these words to speak to us. We have to be curious. We have to have, like Jesus said, ears to hear. We have to listen. And even though we've probably heard these parables hundreds of times and studied them perhaps if you grew up at church at Sunday school and drawn pictures about them and done craft about them, These are not mere stories to entertain the crowds. In fact, as we'll see later on, these stories actually have a cutting edge, a cutting purpose. And so, friends, as we dive into this parable today, let's open our hearts to receive God's word afresh and let these stories, this story in particular, the parable of the sower, train us 
and test us. Because that is, in fact, Jesus's purpose in these verses. He wants to train his disciples and test his disciples. And so today, to jump into this parable, we just have two simple points. The parable explained, point one, and the parable applied, point two. The parable explained, point one, and the parable applied. So let's jump in now and enter into the story in point number one, the parable explained. Let me read verses one through three again. That same day, Jesus went out of the house. So remember last week, Jesus was uh, teaching and his brothers and mothers came to him and said, you know, Jesus, what are you doing? Come out. And he's like, well, who are my brother and my, you know, sisters and my mother and my father? my disciples are. So it's that same day, that potentially the same day of the Lord of the Sabbath, everything. And he leaves the house where he's teaching, most likely in Capernaum, and goes by the sea. And great crowds gathered about him. You got to imagine Jesus, backdrop of the ocean. Maybe we could change. I should change my virtual backdrop to be the ocean, you know, got the paradise. That's where Jesus is. And so many people are there that he gets into a boat and sits down. Now, apparently, getting in a boat and the water creates an acoustic um, effect where you can actually speak much more loudly and it amplifies your voice. So he's out on the boat and the whole crowd is standing there on the beach. And then he begins what is in Matthew's gospel, his third series of teachings. Remember this five sermon series in the gospel of Matthew. Um, We've done the sermon on the Mount, uh, the sermon on the expectations for mission, Now we come to the third set of teachings, the parables. In verse 3, he told them many things in parables. And this whole chapter is a collection of parables from Jesus. There's seven of them in this chapter, potentially eight, depending on how you read it. And we know that from the way the chapter works that it kind of moves from public teaching to private um, explanation public teaching to private explanation. We don't know how it all worked out and all the kind of logistics and itinerary, but at this moment, Jesus is beginning to begin his public teaching of the parables. And he he tells this story, the story, the well-known story, the parable of the sower or the parable of the four soils. And, you know, for us, as we read it, there's kind of two things we have to know to kind of get the picture. We need to know a little bit about Palestinian farming. You see, in this day and age, the way that they went about farming was they often sowed their seed first and plowed the ground afterwards. Um, It was a legitimate way of doing it. Now we plow the ground first and then sow the seed. Uh, But they would sow the seed often first and plow the ground afterwards, which makes sense why this kind of seed is going in all these different places. Because if if you'd already plowed the ground, you would just sprinkle it where you'd plowed it, right? You wouldn't throw it on, on a path. The second thing to remember is that when a a farmer was sowing seed in this time, there's no great crop dusting, agricultural machines. It's just a dude with a bag of grain and going like this. Or potentially what they used to do is put the seed on the back of a donkey, put a hole in it, and then push the donkey along and it would kind of fall out. And so as someone's sowing seed, there's wind blowing it everywhere. It's potentially going in all these different soils. So that's the type of picture that Jesus is painting. And the crowds would have been very familiar with this picture. And you got to, you know, this was their life. They were agricultural people. 
And so he tells this story of a sower that some of it falls on a foot-trodden path and gets eaten up by birds and like, oh, some falls onto shallow rocky soil. It springs up and then dies. They would have been aware of that. Some falls into a thorny area where they thought, oh, it's going to grow, but then slowly it looked promising, but it produces no grain. But then finally, the little twist at the end, some of this seed falls onto good soil. And an average Palestinian crop, a good one, like in the Roman world, was a 10 times yield. But here, this good soil produces 160 or 30 fold. Then Jesus finishes this story with this curious line, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, I want us to try and imagine what it would have been like to be in the crowd on the shore there. They've heard Jesus preaching many times before, and now he starts to do this whole new form of communication. No explanation, no, you know, application, no preaching of the kingdom, no Sermon on the Mount style things, just there was once a farmer who sowed some seed and it produced different yields. They would have been thinking, okay, yeah, like sounds, sounds, sounds good, sounds true enough. And they, they might not have really understood what he was getting at. They might have thought, yeah, that's just a general principle we can apply to our life, a good megachurch sermon or something like that. But imagine being the disciples. They were probably most likely, I could imagine if I was one of them, face palming on the seashore. They're thinking, oh, man, you were doing so well, Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount was awesome. The arguments with the Pharisees, you were dropping mics, dropping bombs. You were amazing. And now... Now a farmer went out to sow seed and some of it grew and, oh, no, what's happened? You know, you can imagine them just being like, what is going on? This is a total change intact. Well, the disciples finally pluck up courage. And if you read verse 10 with me, it says this. Probably sometime after Jesus is told a number of the parables, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables. Why do you speak to them in parables? Now, remember, parables are actually, in some ways, they're, they're hidden truths. They conceal knowledge. We often use illustrations in sermons to make the sermon clearer, but these parables are actually making it harder to understand. So the disciples are confused that they don't get what's going on. We learn in Mark's gospel, they don't understand, let alone the crowds. And the answer that Jesus gives is not at all what we'd expect nor want from Jesus. It really is a challenging answer, and we're going to look at that now. I'm going to quote uh, one commentator, Douglas Sean O'Donnell, which must be an Irish name, so I think Noah would like him. And he says about this section in verses 11 to 17, in these verses, we are unashamedly presented with the tension often given in Scripture between divine sovereignty regarding election and human responsibility regarding rejection. So Jesus' answer is going to show us two main things about the purpose of these parables. That it's demonstrating God's sovereignty in election and demonstrating human responsibility in rejection. So let's look at those two parts of Jesus' answer. Read with me verse 11 to 12. 
So why do you speak to them in parables? The, the disciples ask, and Jesus answered them in private, the, the crowd down here. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. For the, to, to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus here sets up a distinction between the disciples and the crowd. He sets up a distinction between those who are in and those who are out. He sets up a distinction that the the kingdom of God, this message that Jesus has been preaching all over the, uh, the Galilean region, to understand it, it's like being told a secret. You have to be whispered the answer to truly understand. And it's only given, this answer is only given to those whom the the Lord of heaven and earth sovereignly chooses. The mystery of the gospel, as Paul calls it, is hidden from others. And only those who seek the answer will receive the teaching. Uh, This idea is backed up in verse 12, where Jesus goes on to say that whoever has will be given more And whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken away. What he means is this. To whom God opens up this truth, this teaching, the the reality of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel uh, through the parables, they will gain more because they will lean in and they'll hear these parables and they'll be like, oh, I understand what this means. I understand what this means. I understand what this means. They get more and more and more because God reveals it to them because they're willing, they're leaning in because God wants to show it to them. But to the one who does not have, to the one whose ears haven't been opened, to the one who the secret hasn't been revealed, even the blessing that they've had up until this point of Jesus preaching and making things clear will be taken away. And so the parables, the point, one of the points of Jesus teaching in parables now is to demonstrate God's divine sovereignty in election, that God chooses whom he wills to save and hear. Now, that's a hard truth for us to swallow, but that is what Jesus is saying. I've given you this secret and I haven't given it to them. Secondly, the parable demonstrates the reality of human responsibility in rejection. And scripture always presents this tension, God's sovereignty and election, he chooses whom he chooses, and our responsibility in our rejection. We can never blame God and say, well, it's your fault that I didn't believe. It's because of their hard-hearted refusal over all this time that Jesus now speaks in parables. Remember, if you chart through from chapter four, he's gone, preached and taught everywhere. He's healed and done amazing miracles. We've had the Sermon on the Mount. We've had all these great opportunities where he's healed and then taught the crowds about discipleship. There's been these moments where they've eaten, they've drunk with him. He's been in their synagogues. He's preached the word. He's opened up the Old Testament scriptures. He's done amazing things. And then he sent out his disciples. They all went out. They preached the word. Then in chapter 11, Jesus goes to all the towns that, where the disciples went and preaches again. They've heard the word, 
But as we've seen in these last two chapters, chapters 11 and 12, many have rejected. Whole towns have rejected. The Pharisees, as a culmination, have rejected. And they've wanted to put Christ Jesus to death as a, as a summary of how the people of Israel have rejected the Messiah. And so now Jesus changes tact. He changes his form of speech and communication. Read verse 13 to 15. Human responsibility. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because, that's the reason, seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, and he quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Why, why speak in parables? Well, judgment. Judgment on the people for seeing but not hearing, or seeing but not seeing, and hearing but not perceiving. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom, is now veiled to them. Their hearts are dead, their eyes are closed, their ears are blocked, their tongues are tasteless. And so it is in our day and age. Sadly, our friends and family who may have heard the gospel many times grope about blindly, snatching at soul food in this world when a feast is before their very eyes. If only they would see, if only they would hear, if only they would listen. It's a hard truth, but a truth that Jesus wants his disciples and us to know. That God hardens our hearts when we reject his clear teaching of the gospel. That there is, we have responsibility for how we hear. And so here in this section, Jesus answered the disciples' question. Why do you speak to them in parables? Well, number one, to demonstrate God's divine sovereignty in election, that he alone chooses and opens hearts. And then the tension, why? Well, because we are responsible for our rejection of the word. And so when you put that in context of the parable, all soils will hear the same word preached, and they have up until this point, but only some will respond as they ought. Each soil is responsible. Each hearer is responsible for how they hear the word, but ultimately God is sovereign over all. So that's point one, the parable explained. We have this story Many different, same word preached, different responses that demonstrates Jesus is speaking in parables to choose and elect the disciples and actually harden the Israelites. But point two, the parable of the sower applied. How does this apply to you and I today? That was very specific and, and for them. And I believe that this text has two main points that it wants to teach us today, and I want to spend the rest of our time applying it to us. 
The two main applications from this parable is that the parable is designed to train us, number one, as messengers, and to test us as hearers. This parable is here to train us as messengers and to test us as hearers. Firstly, to train us as messengers. Jesus explains this parable to the disciples and gives them this understanding because he's trying to help them see that as they go about as messengers of the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that Jesus Christ has come and as they'll understand later on that he's come perfectly to die in people's places for their sins, that he'll be buried in a grave, that he will rise again to new life, that the eternal kingdom awaits anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. That As they go and preach that message, that glorious, amazing message, doesn't matter how passionately they do it, how many smoke and lights and everything they do, not that they had it back then, doesn't matter what they do, the same message will be preached but there'll be widely different responses. And Jesus is training them and us as disciples to know this. The message of the gospel is not the problem. And to know that the messenger is not necessarily the problem, but people's hearts are the problem. He wants the disciples to know that as they go out and they see so many seeds sown, but so little fruit in the short term, so much rejection that the message of the gospel is not the problem. The messengers aren't even the problem because Jesus is the one preaching. And I don't think any of us can outdo Jesus in preaching the gospel. The hearts of the hearers are the ones who are responsible. Note this parable of the four soils. It's an agricultural image. For a true crop to produce fruit takes time takes months, rain and sun and the perfect conditions. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, guys, as you proclaim the gospel, there will be widely different responses and a healthy crop will take time. Don't look at the, the first fruits that pop up and think, whoa, we've done an amazing job. But look over time and see which of your crop produces fruit. For many of the disciples, they're going to experience rejection. They're going to be put to death. Most of the 12 apostles were put to death for their preaching of the gospel. In fact, later on, we're going to see that the, the Israelites basically all harden their hearts. A, a small number become Christians, but most of Israel rejects Christianity. And it's the Gentiles, people like us, the outsiders who respond to the gospel. And this is going to help the disciples to realize, oh, that's why this is happening. Because God's sovereign in election and humans are responsible for their sin. The message is not the problem. People's hearts are. And so, friends, as we go out in mission, as we go out as disciple makers, sowing seeds of the gospel, spreading the message of the gospel, let this parable of the four soils inform our expectations. Let us go out with agricultural expectations. And I need this as a preacher. You can't tell if we've got a great church after 18 months. Oak trees are not born overnight. Mushrooms are. The only way to tell if we have healthy, fruitful disciples is time and fruit. 
And so expect many seeds to be sown and to produce nothing. That's the first lesson. But the second lesson in the training is he wants us to know there will be a fruitful crop. Yes, many seeds will prove fruitless, but when that seed is sown and that heart receives and understands the gospel, oh, 100, 60, 30-fold increase. It's absolutely incredible. When someone receives the gospel, they're, they're cleansed on the inside, their heart has changed, the spirit fills them, and their entire life begins to change. Husbands start to love their wives properly. Children start to obey their parents. Communities are transformed. Workplaces are transformed. The fruit just goes and goes and goes. Whole generations are transformed as the gospel is passed down from a parent, like my mom passed the gospel down to me, and now I'm passing it down to my children, who, God willing, will pass it down to their children, 160, 30-fold. Men like John Newton go from a slave trader to a slave emancipator. That's the fruit of the gospel, 160, 30. Think of Billy Graham, a distracted farm boy who grew up in church but only became a Christian later in his teenage years and then suddenly the gospel takes hold and his entire ministry, 100 or maybe a 1,000-fold for Billy Graham, and the whole world is changed. One little seed of the gospel, all this fruit. Think about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, 12 disciples, 12 little seeds planted. We are in Parramatta and the gospel has reached us. Think of even in our own church, think of Abigail Chavez. Her parents popped a little seed in her life. And now look at the return. Look at the, the amazing impact she's having on the next generation of our church through preaching the gospel and leading our kids' ministry. Think of our brother Marcus Trippity, who was saved as a late teen and now is living his life desperately seeking the glory of God to encourage brothers to spur one another on. The fruit just goes and goes and goes, friends. So Jesus is training us as disciples to have these expectations. Many will reject. The message is not the problem. But those who take, oh, the fruit, you will see it, 160, 30-fold. It's going to be amazing. So as we go out of mission, have this as our expectation. Flood your minds with the parable of the four soils, thinking this is what's going to happen, and I can't wait to see the beautiful fruit that comes out. But secondly, this passage is not only here to train us as messengers, it's to test us as hearers. Note what Jesus said, verse 9 and verse 18. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. You see, this story wasn't just a nice illustration. This story cuts through to every single hearer of the word of God, now and then. And Jesus arrests us, each one of us, and says, are you listening to the word? The, uh, the Bishop of Liverpool in England, my friend J.C. Ryle, who died 150 years ago, said this. The parable of the sower is a parable of universal application. The things it relates are continually going on in every congregation in which the gospel is preached. 
The circumstances should make us always read the parable with a deep sense of its importance. We should say to ourselves, this concerns me. My heart is to be seen in this parable. I too am here. Oh. <laughs> Judah? Hey, buddy, can you hop out? Yeah. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Sorry, we just had a, um, we had a streaker. Friends, be hearers of the word. This parable is here to test us and ask us this question. How is your hearing? It's no good for us to just be like, ah, oh, those Israelites back then, they didn't listen. No, 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 this is for us right now, today. There's a number of warnings in this parable that we can heed and apply to ourselves, and I'll just briefly apply each one to us. Firstly, beware of the devil as you hear God's word preached. Beware of the devil as you hear the word. Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. J.C. Ryle says that we shall always find the devil at church. Whenever we are distracted, not listening, not interested in what is being said, maybe that's not you. Maybe Satan is actually affecting you, tricking you, deceiving you. Uh, confusing you, making you bored and listless. We ought to be very careful and concerned about our hearts as we hear the word preached. Beware of a hard heart. Beware of a hardened heart, a deceived heart by Satan as you hear the word each week. Come every week and ask the Lord for a softened heart that his word would be planted and deeply rooted and produce the fruit that God intends. Satan would love to snatch away the preaching of the gospel from you every week at church. So come, like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Come poor in spirit, needy, plow the soil of your heart, ready to receive God's word each and every week. Secondly, Beware of your temporary feelings as you hear the word. Jesus' explanation in verse 20, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Friends, this is the test of adversity. The test of adversity is the one that comes and proves whether or not we truly believe it. The sun beats down, the wind blows, the trials of life come, the waves rise. And that's how it tests whether or not we were really listening and believing and trusting the word. It's possible to come to church because you like community and you're lonely. It's possible to come to church because it feels spiritual and gives you a pick-me-up. It's possible to come to church because you like the great oratory of this preacher, <laughs> though not likely. But beware of your temporary feelings as you hear the word. 
and make sure that you apply it and do it because the blessing comes not just from the hearing, but from the doing of God's word each week. Thirdly, beware the, the cares and lures of this world as you hear the word. Beware the cares and lures of the world as you hear the word. Verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The first, the, the second soil there was the test of adversity. This is the test of prosperity, the test of prosperity. This is mainly our test, friends. This is the greatest danger our church faces. This soil is the greatest threat to you and I, that we would hear and hear and hear and hear the word and yet daydream and fantasize about another life, that the cares and the pressures and the temptations and the deceitfulness of riches would deceive us, that we would be in church every week hearing but never really hearing and never really producing fruit because we're expending our energy elsewhere. We're so caught up in the world that there's no room for the word in our heart. This is the test of prosperity, friends, and it's all around us. It's in my heart too. As I drive and walk around, I think, ooh, I'd like, I want that car. <laughs> I want that house. I want that ability. And I start to think and strategize and plan and my, my heart and my thoughts get caught up with building a kingdom here on earth. But Jesus has already told us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Friends, this is a great danger for you and I. Let us beware of the cares and lures of this world as we hear God's word. Let us believe the word and act upon it and sow seeds into our eternal future rather than living for the here and the now. How do you know if this is you, either of these dangers? Well, survey your fruit. Are you bearing gospel fruit? Are you obeying Jesus even when it hurts and costs? Are you seeking to make disciples? Are you loving God's people? Are you a hearing and doing the word as it is preached? So, friends, let this parable train us to go forth sowing seeds of the gospel, aware of God's divine sovereignty and election and the responsibility of the hearers in their own rejection. Let this parable test your own heart and my own heart. We are responsible for how we hear the word. And so, friends, how is your hearing today? Beware of the devil. Beware of your feels and vibes about the word. Beware of the cares and the deceitfulness of this world. But the way I want to finish, the way I want to finish is not a beware but I'd be amazed. I want us to finish being amazed with the, the final soil, which I trust 
for many of you is the reality. Verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, 60, and in another, 30. Friends, the gospel has been revealed to you. You have heard it. You have seen it. You have tasted it. You know the goodness of the kingdom and you are bearing fruit. And so be amazed that God in his sovereignty elected you. Be amazed that God in his mercy opened your eyes, unblocked your ears, turned the taste buds on in the mouth of your soul that you would taste and see that God is good. Be amazed that God in his mercy chose you. Like he said to the disciples in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, friends, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Friend, we ought to be in sober, wide-eyed wonder, thinking, me? God would reveal the secrets of the kingdom to me. He wouldn't leave me in my rejection and rebellion, but he would reveal it to me. And we should say with the great hymn writer, Charles Wesley, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Friends, this parable here to train us, to test us, and to amaze us with the wonders of the gospel. Would you pray with me? And then we'll sing our final song. Lord God, we thank you that you did speak in parables according to your sovereign will, that you are divine in your sovereignty and completely in control, and we submit to it. We thank you that you have opened our eyes and unblocked our ears to hear the word of the gospel and to believe it. Protect us from Satan. Protect us from our fleeting emotions. Protect us from the cares and the deceitfulness of the pleasures of this world. And, Lord, bear an amazing crop amongst our hearts and in our church for your glory. Help us to be faithful sowers of the seed, spreading the message of the kingdom wherever we go. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace to us in Christ. Amen.